I've always wanted to be queen. Those are the words, not me personally, I should say. Those are the words of a lady, Judith Streng, aged 77 from Texas, to explain what she did whilst she was on holiday in Iceland. She, um, she saw uh, what appeared to be an ice throne on the edge of the beach, and she sat on it pretending to be the queen. This is a picture of it, of her there, and um, her son took that photo. Now, uh, I'll leave you to decide how regal she looks in that particular position, but what happens shortly after this is that there is a wave that comes along that breaks off this ice throne. Here's a picture of a few minutes later, where you might be able to see that she is cast adrift uh, some distance out from the shore already. Fortunately, there was a captain of a boat who was uh, at hand who was used to and trained in sea rescue. Uh, and so he went and helped her safely back to shore. Um, an ill-advised voyage that was undertaken. Uh, and actually, really, this story of Jonah starts with this idea of an ill-advised journey. The call of God comes to Jonah to say this, go to the great city of Nineveh. And he is called to go there to preach against that city, to tell them to turn from all that they have done wrong. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Uh, and what does Jonah do? He goes to the port, catches a boat, and sails off in completely the opposite direction to Tarshish. We're told he is running away. He is fleeing from the Lord. And um, it's an ill-advised voyage. Because as we have heard today, as Ruth read to us, what happens is this. A storm comes up that threatens the ship. Sometimes in life, there are great storms. And so today, we are going to be talking about caught in a storm and Jonah, who is caught in this particular storm. Now, I should say at this moment, there are a number of different ways we could look at this particular passage. So let me give you a couple of examples. It says in verse 4, the first words that we heard read from this chapter this morning, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So there's a whole thing about storms, a whole direction about looking at what happens when storms hit. Who sends the storms? In what context is God involved in them when bad things happen? A whole avenue to explore. But that's not really what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, there's a lot about fear in the passage as well. It tells us that all the sailors were afraid. And, um, uh, and later on, it says, Jonah says, when he says who he is, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Probably a more accurate translation of that is, I fear the Lord of heaven. So Jonah fears. Uh, and then when uh, they hear, the sailors hear that he is running from God, 
it tells us this terrifies them. Uh, and later on, uh, we haven't read this this week, this is next week's part, when they do throw Jonah overboard, the sea becomes calm and they are afraid of God as they worship him. So there's a whole thing here about fear. What does it mean to fear God? And uh, we could look into that, but we're not doing that either. But what we are going to look at is we are thinking about our theme of the year, which is go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and this is what Jonah is called to do in going to Nineveh, and this is what he runs from. Uh, and we're thinking this year in particular about what should we be doing in responding to the great commission that Jesus gives, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What does it mean in this context? What can we learn from Jonah's experience from this book of the Bible that might help and encourage us to be people who go, who go out into the world? So that's what we are looking at, and there are three things in particular that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at a call to reevaluate, a call to reevaluate what we think is important in life. There is also a call to wake up, and also, thirdly, a call to live our identity. Three things. This is a picture of a gentleman called Martin Childlow, and uh, he went to Specsavers and had an eye test, and having done so, he was looking to buy some eye drops. You can see him holding them there, some eye drops because he was, he got dry eyes or something, and the, these were supposed to um, help him with that. He was expecting to pay £9.95 for this, uh, and he took it to the till, and they rang it up, and this is the uh, bill that he got for it. It came out at you know, in case you, I mean, I'm sure you could all read this, but it's four billion thirty-one million six hundred twenty-six thousand seven hundred eleven pounds fifty-one pence. He said to her uh, at the time, he said, "Well, I was going to pay in cash, but I'm not so sure now. I might have to put this on my card." Um, it, it was, of course, a mistake that they got sorted out very shortly afterwards. But imagine that had been the bill. I wonder if he would have still gone ahead with the eye drops. I suspect not, because you'd have to reevaluate exactly what it's worth. There's a lot of evaluation that is going on in this story, reevaluation. You see, here they are sailing on this boat, and the storm comes up. And what is the reaction of the sailors? Well, they're afraid, and each cry out to their own God. And they throw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. You see, when a storm comes, when things go wrong, it causes you to reevaluate what is most important right now. And so those sailors, they start to cry out to God, to many different gods. They didn't know the God of heaven and earth, but they knew that something spiritual was going on here. They reevaluated what they were doing at that particular moment. 
Uh, and then, actually, the way they get money, their whole profits were tied up in the cargo that they had on board. Uh, and what do they do with it? Rather than uh, seeking to keep the profits, which would be about delivering them safely, they recognize that actually profits are not worth very much when it comes to their life. And so what they do is they start throwing all the cargo overboard to lighten the ship to give it a better chance of surviving. They're having to re-evaluate what is important. Now, some of our experience may be that when things go wrong in life, it causes us to re-evaluate what is important. Uh, I've heard people say on a number of occasions when faced with ill health, suddenly it makes you realize how valuable your health is. There are things that make us stop and make us think again. Do we have to wait for a storm, though? No. I want to suggest that actually, if we're going to respond to this call, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, if we're to respond to this idea that we're not here just for ourselves to worship God, and it's not all about us, but actually we have a commission that comes from Jesus to take out from here the good news of a Savior, then we may have to reevaluate what is important in our lives. It may be that as a church, and there are many good things that we do here, so don't mishear me, but it may be those moments come when we have to stop and reevaluate and say, what are we actually doing here? If Jesus has called us, commissioned us to be people who go out and share the good news, to invite people to meet with the risen Lord Jesus. Are we actually doing that as we should be? Or can we be more effective in what we're doing? Uh, and that, I think, is one of the things that as a church, a process that we are going through and we're seeking, particularly those of you that were around at the church weekend at home we had in, uh, back in May, Steve Fenning, who was sharing with us, was encouraging us to think what it means to be a church that is looking outward. Uh, and there are things we need to think about and consider. What does it mean to be a church, to be people who are really focused, not just on those inside the church, but looking outwards for those who don't come to church? What does that mean? It means that we might have to re-evaluate things that are important. Uh, of course, it may be that you are here today and you don't really know Jesus particularly well. Maybe you can identify with the sailors who don't know who God is, the true God at this particular moment. Uh, and maybe today you will hear a call to reevaluate those things that you think are important in your life because actually today is an opportunity to meet with, well, I can stand here and testify, the one who I believe is the answer to all things on heaven and on earth. We can look to him and discover a completely new way of living. Are you here today? And there's a call to reevaluate what you think is 
important? What takes your time? What takes your focus? Can you hear, can you see in the way that you live during the week, Jesus coming in to every moment of your life? A call to re-evaluate. Second thing that we're looking at, a call to wake up. Um, I, I came across this picture during the week, which I quite liked. It's of a lollipop lady helping children across the road, but as you can also see, the road is closed. So there can be no traffic coming along at that particular moment. Now, um, I, I'm not sure, what's that a picture of? Is that a picture of somebody who's so caught up in a particular way of doing things that they always help people cross the road, so they will help people cross the road even when the road is closed? Or is it somebody who's very good with Photoshop? I'm not quite sure which it might be. But it, it did strike me as I looked at that picture, I wonder, do we get into routines sometimes? Do we get onto pathways that we need to break out of? Look at what happens for Jonah. It says, Jonah, so remember the sailors are praying to a variety of different gods. They're throwing the cargo off the ship to lighten it. What's Jonah doing in this time? Jonah's gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. You know, here they are, here are the sailors. They are praying. They are trying to do something practical. And what's Jonah doing? Going below deck, and he's fast asleep. Now, um, it may be one of the commentators I was reading suggested that probably the reason for this is Jonah wasn't a, a, a sailor. He was probably seasick in the storm. Uh, and so he may have felt that the best place to be was actually down below, just fast asleep, because that's all he could face in this particular moment of seasickness. Well, maybe. I don't know. But actually what I, I do believe is the, the person who's writing this story, the person who's telling the story of Jonah, wants us to see some other things that are going on. There's some fascinating language as you, discuss, uh, as you delve into Jonah. First of all, it's this. That there's a lot of talk about going down, down into the decks below. But, but it's interesting going back into um, verse 3. This is how it phrases it. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. It's talking about going down. Uh, and a little bit later on, Jonah will be thrown into the sea, into the depths, going down. You see, I think the author wants us to get this. There's something about Jonah's life story at the minute, which is on a downward spiral. Everything is going wrong. In fact, as you look at the translation, it's made even stronger than this. The, the NIV doesn't put it like this, but in verse 2 it says, go to the great city of Nineveh, but the most accurate translation says, God saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Uh, and actually the captain comes along and says the same words to Jonah as he's sleeping, arise. You see, there's two ways to go. You can rise up to life or you can go down. You can rise up to all the good things, or you can spiral down so that your life is getting worse and worse. Some of this imagery comes out elsewhere in Scripture. 
one or two of you, many of you maybe, may know the story of Joseph. Made popular in modern culture with the musical and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, and there's a moment there where Joseph's brothers are going to Jacob, the father, to pretend that he is dead. And they take this coat that he's been given and make sure it's got animal blood smeared over it so it looks like it could be Joseph's blood so that the father thinks that his son has died. Uh, and Jacob, understandably, is distraught by this. Uh, and this is the language that is used. His sons and daughters come to him uh, and ask him and try to get him to rise. Uh, and this is what Jacob says. He says, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. I shall go down to death. You, you see, what we're getting the picture of here is that Jonah, in going down to Joppa, in going down into the decks, Things are going wrong in his life. This is the journey that he's on. Uh, and there's something that is a reality about this, isn't there, in life? That one bad decision leads to another bad decision. That leads to another bad decision. And that's the path that Jonah is on at this particular moment. Uh, and actually, I, I can think in a number of people's lives, when I chat to them at different times, you can see very rarely is it one bad decision that somebody makes that causes their life to go off the rails. But you see people get into that system where they make one bad choice, and it leads to the next bad choice that leads to the next bad choice, and gradually life is going down and down and down. Things are getting worse, and now here is Jonah fast asleep at the bottom of the boat, where he's at great, great risk and peril, and he's asleep. And so the captain comes along and says, wake up. Wake up, arise, make a good decision now. Pray to your God. That's what he tells him to do. He, he, he comes to him and says, um, get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. This is the call to Jonah to wake up and now make a good decision because once you start making good decisions, your path changes from going down and down to arise, get up and make a good decision. I just wonder if there are people today who may be here or might be listening at a later time who it feels for them right now their life is going down and down and down and it seems like there's no way out. Make a first good decision. Make a good decision and you change your direction. Because once you've made one good decision, you can make another good decision and then another good decision and gradually things change. So rather than traveling downwards, you begin to travel upwards. Maybe there are people here today who feel at a real low ebb. Life is really tough. Life is hard you feel low. Let me just say, in the storm of life, make a good decision. Make the next decision a good one. Do what is right, and your path can change. Uh, and I would encourage you within that, just as the captain calls on Jonah to call on God, what is a good decision to make? Call on God. 
Let me say, actually, each one of you here today, you've made a good decision already because you're here. This is a place where we can worship God. That means that we are in a place where we are opening ourselves up to what God might be saying. We're in a good place. It may be that actually the call that we need to hear is particularly a call to wake up. Because do you see the irony? There's so much irony in Jonah. You know, Jonah, who is he? He's the prophet of God. What's a prophet? A prophet is somebody who hears from God. How do you hear from God? Well, you need to be in conversation with him. Here we have Jonah, who is the prophet, who is the one who listens to God, who hears to God from God, down in the depths of the boat, while the people who don't know God are praying to all kinds of gods, while Jonah is sleeping. You see the irony there? Those who don't believe in God are praying. The one who does believe in God is asleep. Wake up, Jonah. Come on, pray. Turn to God. I, I wonder if ever as Christians we get to that point where we're people who should pray, but we're not. You know, in fact, there's still no evidence at this particular moment that Jonah does straight away go and turn in prayer. He wakes up physically, but I'm not sure he's woken up spiritually at this particular moment. In a few moments, we're going to read that actually what they did is they start drawing lots to find out who is responsible. Jonah doesn't say, oh, no need. I've recognized I'm responsible. He allows them to draw lots. I don't think he's woken up spiritually at this particular point. I wonder. You see, we can come to church. We can read the Bible. We can even perhaps pray to an extent. But the call comes to us. Wake up. Wake up spiritually. And really start engaging in who God is. There was a, a survey done by a Christian psychologist who was trying to find out why some Christians stopped praying or weren't praying. Uh, this is what he found. He found that most people had stopped praying or weren't praying because there were things that they didn't want God to challenge them on. There were things that they, they didn't want to change in their lives, and they were afraid that actually if they did pray, if they did open themselves up to it, God might change them. So what's the solution? Don't pray. You know, if you're in that place where you hold bitterness in life at things that have happened, resentment, if you're in that place where you're feeling self-pity for how things are, if you're in that place where you are angry with someone, if you're in that place of hurt, upset, maybe what you do is you just say, actually, I don't want God to challenge and change me from where I'm at, so I won't pray. Uh, and it's amazing how easy that that can happen. We can pray about, there are certain things that we have, we say, I'm quite happy to pray about that. I'm happy to pray for people who need prayer for particular things, because that's kind of in the, safely over here. But actually praying about where I'm at and what I'm feeling uh, and what God is saying to me, I don't want to pray about that. Because what if God calls me 
to do something I don't want to do? What if God challenges me over a particular kind of behavior? You know, Jonah's running away. Pray? Well, no, what if God challenges him and says, no, you're supposed to go to Nineveh. I don't want that, so I'm not going to pray. Just wonder, would God say to anyone today, wake up. Wake up spiritually. Let me in. Don't keep me out. Don't keep me at arm's length. Don't keep parts of your life where you say, you're welcome in this place, but not here. Just open yourself up. Wake up spiritually to who God is. I wonder, would God say that to any of us today? The third thing, a call to live the identity. Um, Some of you may know that at 10 Downing Street, there's one person, well, one living thing that will continue to live there, apparently, uh, over the next coming weeks and months, in spite of a change of prime minister. That is Larry, uh, the cat, who is the chief mouser for Downing Street, for number 10 Downing Street, and um, apparently had a slow beginning to his mousing career, but he has picked up in his ability to catch mice over recent times. Um, But that's not the only cat that there is in politics. Uh, I I saw there was an amusing picture. In Pakistan, the ruling party there uh, decided to do a Facebook Live um, part, and... um, that was okay, but as was later described, a, a very willing, hard-working volunteer made a mistake when they started broadcasting live. They put the cat filter on, which gave pictures <laughs> like that and like that uh, as they were trying to do the broadcast. It's quite good, actually, isn't it? You know, that, um, they're not real cats, of course. You know, you know that, don't you? They're just pretending. That's what the app does. It makes you look, well, a little bit silly. It makes you look a little bit like a cat. You know, just saying, of course, you're a cat. Not that they are saying a cat, but just having ears. That doesn't make you a cat. Any more than perhaps saying I'm a follower of Jesus makes you a follower of Jesus unless... You follow Jesus. Does that make sense? You know, just saying it doesn't make it true. You actually have to do it. Uh, And that's what we see uh, goes on in the next part of this passage and why I want to say that we have a call to live our identity. The sailors say to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. It was a very traditional thing to do in these Old Testament times that what people would do is if you wanted to discover what the God was thinking, you would draw lots. And it was believed that as you drew lots, you would discover what God was saying through that chance occurrence. So let's find out who's responsible for this. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Or as I said earlier, perhaps the most accurate translation, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea 
and the land. Hang on a second. Jonah, you know, you've heard the word of the Lord who said, go to Nineveh. Where are you? You're on a boat in the opposite direction to Tarshish. You know you should be talking to God and listening to God because you're a prophet. What are you doing? You're asleep. So actually, as we look at Jonah at this particular point, is he really living out his identity as somebody who fears the Lord? Is he living out his identity as somebody who worships the Lord? He's actually running away from this. He's avoiding it. He says, this is who I am, but actually his actions show this is who you aren't. The call is to live identity. Because that reveals who God is. You know the call on us, if we're to be people who go and make disciples of all nations, if we're to be people who go and uh, there's something attractive about who we are in the faith that we follow, do you know there's something important we have to do? Live out what it means to follow Jesus. Not just say we follow Jesus, but live it out. See, Jonah's problem here is he's, he's living quite a shallow identity. Because he says it, but he's not living it. That's where you hear sometimes the words, isn't it? Oh, Christians, you may have heard this at one time or another, a, a criticism of Christians. Christians, there are so many hypocrites, aren't there? Because they say one thing and do something else. Well, actually, of course, in one sense, um, we're all fallen people. We all make mistakes. So if you just judge everything that we say by that, it's only if we say we're perfect that we can be said that we're hypocrites because we will all make mistakes. If we acknowledge that, we're not. If we try and do something about it, we're not. But the call is to be people who go out and live as Christians. Now, the sailors, they're worshipping many different types of gods. And, and it isn't today that we have the same kind of gods to worship. So they worshipped the god of Mercury, who was the ancient god of commerce and profit. Now, we don't go out and um, sacrifice to a god of Mercury. But I just wonder, actually, if we look at the world, if we look at society around us, there are people who, in effect, are allowing their decisions in their life to be affected by materialism, by profit, by love of money. In effect, worshipping another god. We, we don't see people going out and worshipping Venus, the goddess of beauty. But we do see people who are so caught up in their lives that the important thing is, is how they look, how they dress. We do see people who, for whom sexual fulfillment is the most important thing and they chase after that and live a lifestyle that leads them to that. There's another God as well, the God of Hedony, the ancient God of pleasure. We don't see people going out and sacrificing animals or bowing down, but we do see people who pursue pleasure, whose main goal in life is to say, what brings me the most enjoyment? What brings me the most happiness? Because that's the path that I'm on. That's the path that I will follow. So you see, it's easy as we look in society to see people, in effect, worshipping 
other gods. But the challenge is they can be very appealing for us as well. You know, we can go out from this place and find actually that the decisions that we're making are influenced by how much money we might make, what physical pleasures we might have, the things that we enjoy doing. Uh, And actually, if our faith doesn't interfere with those things, that's great, that's fine. But if it does, which choice do we make? You see, we might say, well, I'm happy to come along to church as long as it doesn't interfere with other things that I'm doing. I'm happy to worship God corporately with other people uh, as long as it's not something I'd rather do. But if there's something I'd rather do, I'll go and do that. Some people might say, well, I'm happy to serve in God and give my time to doing something for God uh, as long as there isn't something I'd rather do. But if there's something I'd rather do, I'll say I I won't do that anymore because I'll go and do this. You see, that's not going to be when we go out and we share something about our faith. The attractive thing is about when people see that our lives are shaped by who Jesus is. Not through everything that we say, but through the way that we live, through who we are, through the way we respond to different situations, through the way that we make decisions. That's what will attract people because it's different, because it stands out, because I'd say it works, at least that's my testimony. It works. But I just wonder, if we are going to be people who go, is there ever a call to reevaluate what we think is important? Uh, As we go, is there ever a call to wake up, to wake up spiritually? Perhaps to wake up because we say, actually, because for some of us, maybe our faith is all about coming in and doing faith on a Sunday, but actually the call of Jesus is not, not just about that. It's about when we go out as well. Perhaps our call is also to live out our identity, not just to say, this is who we are but live it out. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for Jonah? Well, we'll come back and see what it means for Jonah. We've got a few more weeks of the series. We're going to come back and see what happens next. You know, he's on this downward spiral. It's going to get worse next week, let me tell you, before it gets better. What about us when we go out through these doors? Are we going out to live for him? Is that what we say is most important? Are we going out to spiritually engage in a world that is needy of God? Are we going out to live out who we are? That's the call that we have. What does it mean for you this week? What does it mean for me this week to be people who are called to go? Amen.